Hello, listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we are joined by a very special guest. I'm so excited to introduce Marjorie Muller. She's a Chicago-based playwright, actor, and producer whose work has been featured at Urbanite Theater, the Women's Theater Festival, Imposters Theater Company, and more. She's currently developing an adaptation of Dracula for young adults called Lucy Westenra is definitely not and will never be a vampire that will be performed this fall at the Latin School of Chicago. She's also producing a live audio drama with Theater in the Dark based on War of the Worlds, which will be happening this upcoming fall. Marjorie, welcome to Beckett's Babies. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're so excited to talk to you. Um, so tell us what, what's your earliest memory? We like to start by asking people about their very early childhoods. I have been reflecting on this question because I've been listening to, I pulled a Paul Michael Thompson Yay! and listened to <laughs> sweet, sweet Paul Michael. Um, Hello, I listened so to a bunch of episodes before this. Um, so my earliest memory is I think I was... I still had a crib. So I think I was like right on the verge of not having a crib anymore, maybe like two-ish. I don't know when you're not supposed to have a crib anymore. But um, (laughs) I remember standing in my crib and it was night and the lights were on and my mom was about to leave the room. I don't know why. And I was like in in my memory, and maybe this is all made up, who knows? (laughs) But um, I said, mom, turn off the lights. And she was like... (laughs) Uh, no, you're going to be scared. And I was like, please, I I really want you to turn off the lights. And she did. And I screamed. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know what that memory says about me, but I think it says something. I think it says a lot. I'm just not sure. It says that you like to face your fears. I guess. And and you like to have control over people who have more power than you. (laughs) (laughs) Those are both accurate, very accurate. I'm going to bring those to my therapist. Thank you very much. Um, You're welcome. Did she turn it back on after you screamed? She did. It was only a moment, only a moment in the dark. But um, it's just a really funny first memory. Like what inspires, I mean, the curiosity, I think, is really the Thing that inspires a kid to ask to be left in the dark, you know, but um, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. all artists are extremely curious and here I am. <laughs> well, and I also love that like your mom was right about it, but, <laughs> but she still humored you. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm very lucky. So I'm, I'm an only child and both of my parents were they were like 40 when they had me so I was mm-hmm. like you know they they're very wise they have a lot of life experience and there's only me so one thing I've always really appreciated about them is they really let me uh, and have ma- let me make my own decisions and when inevitably even if they know they're gonna go awry they've never said I told you so and Aww. I really appreciate that <laughs> Well, and I have to say, I got to meet your mom because I met you down at Urbanite Theater and yes. your mom was so, you could just tell how proud she was of you. I don't want to embarrass you, but like it was the sweetest no. thing, <laughs> how she's, much she loved yeah. you and supported your work. She's an absolute angel. I always used to joke that she was more popular than me in high school. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. So I'd love to hear uh, what 
was your introduction to theater? Like, how did you get into it? Yeah. So my, I come from a pretty artistic family, actually, um, which I didn't really realize or at least contemplate till I was older. But my mother was a dancer and now she's a dance teacher. And my dad is, he's an abstract artist and a musician. And so I was always surrounded by the arts. That was like a really major thing. My mom started putting me in, you know, camps when I was pretty young. But I think the biggest thing that informed my path toward starting theater was that my mom worked at the school that I went to. It was a private school in Chicago. And I wouldn't have gotten to go there unless she had been a faculty member. So I I feel very lucky that I got that experience, but she would choreograph the musicals. And so what is a kid to do who can't get a ride home, uh, but to sit through rehearsals, you know, uh, and watch her mom choreograph musicals. So my introduction to theater was very much like Rodgers and Hammerstein and stuff like that. But it was just what, a more, I, I can't imagine a more fun thing for just a little kid who, you know, is surrounded by all these high schoolers who are just trying to do their own thing and dance and sing. And it, I have such fond memories of that period of my life. So yeah, I think that was kind of the little, the door was nudged open there. And then when did you move from being the kid sitting in the back of the theater, like watching your mom? do that to getting into, did you start as an actor? Or did you go right into yeah. writing? Yeah. So I started as an actor and again, due to my mother, she put me in a Shakespeare camp in sixth grade um, wow. at Valparaiso University. They did, used to do a summer Shakespeare camp and it was just the coolest thing. Um, you know, a bunch of middle schoolers doing, we did the two noble kinsmen of all plays. Um, oh my God. And, uh, that, was kind of the first, like it was, we had really beautiful costumes and we were on this huge stage. And that's when acting was kind of a really exciting new thing for me. And I, I don't subscribe to astrology, but I do know way too much about it for saying I don't subscribe to it. And <laughs> I am a Virgo Leo cusp. So there is a part of that, like attention getting and having people look at you and just, it, it, it's kind of fun. Um, and when you're a child and you are still figuring out what it's like to be seen and what it's like to have a body. And um, I think in the right circumstances, it can be a really healthy, really cool experience. Yeah. I have a quick question. When you said uh, you were in the Shakespeare camp, I'm so curious to know at that age, what were your first thoughts or your first impression about Shakespeare? That's really funny. I've been, when I was primarily an actor, because I, I ended up going to um, the theater school at DePaul for acting. I got my acting degree there. But when I was primarily an actor, I was like, I want to do Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. He's withstood the whips and scorns of time, blah, blah, blah. And um, <laughs> I really had... Even at a young age, and I played Hera in The Two Noble Kinsmen, and she kind of starts and ends the show with a monologue. Um, she's kind of like, a they called it a medium-sized part. There were large, medium, <laughs> and small-sized parts. And even at that time, I kind of felt like I understood that there must be something very special about this writing, the fact that we're, we've been doing it for 
400 years. We keep doing these same plays. We keep telling these same stories. Now, there's, you know, a lot to be said about Shakespeare just stole all these the same stories that we tell over and over again and just made them a little different. And he had the... Um, it, he had access to the funds and the the um, places to be able to perform them. But I think there was something very special and very magical about it. And we were also being taught by um, the theater program at Valparaiso University used to be very robust. And so we were being taught by these um, college students who obviously really, really loved what they were doing and mm-hmm. really, really loved being able to share this with really young really young for doing Shakespeare kids. So I think it was a combination of just the mythos that you kind of know around Shakespeare, even at such an early age, you're like, everybody talks about this guy. So I guess I should think about it or read about it more. (laughs) And then a bunch of you know, college, especially when, if you go to school for theater, is such a like, we love theater and oh my gosh, Stanislavski and just constantly, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But there is a lot of still, uh, I think that passion is still unfazed by kind of the toughness of the industry, if that's what you're really trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still that very pure passion and desire to be storytelling. So I think it was a really nice combination. Yeah. And then, okay, so then tell us about your first uh, foray into writing plays. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> So I laugh because it's kind of, it's not, it's embarrassing. Um, When I was, I guess it started when I got my first laptop, which was in seventh grade, I think. (laughs) And um, I was like, oh, I have this really cool thing on here called Word, Microsoft Word. (laughs) That's a really neat program. And uh, I just started writing stories and the stories were always like, here's this girl who doesn't know how pretty she is. And is really, <laughs> she's really weird, but also kind of outspoken and like is really passionate about one really weird specific thing. And here's this guy who's a, he's cynical and like, it's really hard to get to know him, but he can change. And I would just write these, this formula over and over again. And I, um, in prose format, you know, not plays and, I did dabble in fan fiction for a period of time. And so <laughs> that's kind of where the writing started. Mm. And in high school, I used to call it my hobby. It used to be my pastime. It's how I would unwind. And it was really, uh, it was really fun, you know, for the, for the gross, definitely misogynistic stories I was telling. Um, it definitely <laughs> led me to where I am today. And then I took a playwriting class my senior year of high school. And then when I got to college, I was taking a creative writing. I was, I was trying to get a creative writing minor because, you know, that's how you make all your money when you're getting an acting degree. Um, and, uh, that then I, the playwriting track is kind of at DePaul, a little bit fluid to actors joining it their senior year. And me and a friend of mine joined in and that's where I was like, Oh, this is really satisfying. This is, very much more um I I still love acting and I do it when asked that's kind of how my relationship with it now I I found that the experience of auditioning is actually really harmful to my mental health Mm. and I 
finally decide I've I've kind of come to terms with the fact that like you know playwriting is my first thing now um but I found that there's something super something clicked when I started playwriting more that this this is your story you know and of course you end up sharing it with so many people who end up spinning it and twisting it in such beautiful unique ways and that's what's so exciting about it it's not a book that you open and people read and they keep it in their head it's words you put on a page and yeah sometimes people cut lines and you don't want them to do that but they do or actors say the lines wrong or directors take the stage directions and they strike them out or whatever but there's something so unique about always being able to be a part of that story as Mm -hmm. the playwright And I found that to be the most gratifying thing when I had started in college. So when it comes to approaching, I'd love to know um, on your, you know, your current playwriting journey, like what are some tips and tricks you've picked up along the way of, you know, starting writing or maybe rewriting, just any, anything that you've kind of picked up along the way? Yeah, I think, and this is, I think a general artist thing, Mm -hmm. but I think there is no, there are no rules. So there is no steadfast rule book that you can follow or that you need to expect certain things from yourself. You know, when I started investing in like, yeah, I'm, I'm a playwright, I'm a writer. I was like, okay, then I have to sit down and I have to write my pages every day and I have to force myself even if it hurts and oh my gosh I'm turning 25 this year and I'm not successful yet which means I I won't ever be successful or all these stories that you tell yourself because you see some successful people follow that path to whatever whatever success is to you right um I think that's been the trying to keep myself in my own lane and really just following what is right and correct for my playwriting journey, that's been one of the most challenging and most important tips or tricks I guess I've had to develop. Um, Because for me personally, I'll write, I'll finish a draft of a play, and then I'm like, okay, I'm not touching that for three months. And, you know, sometimes it's like, well, actually, the deadline is in two weeks, so you have to pick it up again. And (laughs) when that happens, I am really pissed. But um, sometimes it's just, okay, you, I put it away. I don't write for like three weeks. I move on to something else. I focus on something else completely. You know, it's just because you're not writing, it doesn't mean you're not a writer. it sounds simple. It's I'm sure somebody has said it on this podcast before, but it really I think is an important lesson to be learned because you can you can really get in your own head. <laughs> like no matter what, it's it it can be very detrimental. Definitely. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed, so I I have seen one of your plays regular yeah. and then I have read I just read Little Space and one of the things I've noticed about obviously just those two plays, but maybe is indicative of your work in general, is that um, you use humor in a very particular way. And I just, I am very delighted by the like um, awkward jokes (laughs) (laughs) thing you have going on. Like these, I've noticed just characters like, like to make jokes. And I'm just wondering if that's something you do intentionally thinking about humor and how to use it as a tool 
Um, or is it more like a character development? Mm, that's an interesting question. I, I do find a lot of the things I tell myself in my own life for my own, like trying to keep myself on an even keel end up mm. coming out in my characters. So something I always say is that you got to laugh to keep from crying. Mm. <laughs> and in my plays, you know, characters can come up against some pretty, uh, pretty devastating things for just being normal people in quotations. Um, mm-hmm. And yet we all just in just, like in regular life, we all have to survive. We all have to wake up, put our pants one leg on at a time and <laughs> go to work or pick up your kid from school or have a meeting or whatever, you know, and and we have to cope. Um, I think my characters do a lot of coping. I, I think that comes from me doing a lot of coping a lot. I mean, we're all doing it all the time, but um, there is definitely a certain genre of humor. The dad jokes, it's almost dad jokes, but then they're like a little, like, they're a little uh, dirty. <laughs> it's like, if your dad's kind of creepy, that's, I guess, the humor that comes up. But yeah. Well, it's a very delightful genre of humor. Um. So just to shift gears a bit, I uh, would love to know how, this is a question I feel like, it's 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 a hot topic i just always see it in uh, twitter feeds and stuff but you know how do you balance a day job with your theater work oh man well i can tell you right now that the choices i'm making are there is no balance whatsoever (laughs) um i you know i've been a substitute teacher for the past two years and with everything that has happened with covid you know just so many things shifted for my own plans i had three productions like canceled or postponed you know and i and i just a quick digression from that while there is some grief in that i also find so much relief <laughs> just so much like yeah. wow nobody can think i'm a terrible writer now um you know that that small uh, self sabotage monster in me is just like thank god you piece of shit i'm sorry oh can my- i swear um <laughs> yeah this is not we're not a, a public broadcasting program. <laughs> um so that was, but it was really kind of a hit and it it made me start realizing, okay, like this thing isn't going away anytime soon. So I ended up applying to a full-time assistantship for, uh, teaching for this school year. Um, and that with the intention of getting my graduate degree in probably elementary education so that, um, cool. Yeah, I actually, I'm sorry, I keep jumping all around, but I read Untamed by Glennon Doyle because, come on, we all got to read it. And um, <laughs> it's it's really fantastic because for me, at least, her whole message is like, we spend so much time either dwelling on things that we've done or being concerned about the things that we will do rather than just being in the moment, being able to evaluate what our actual desires are, what's going to feed us now. And something that 
occurred to me when I was reading this, because I was kind of in a low period. COVID's been low lows and high highs. And I was in like a lower period. And when I was reading about that, the first thing that occurred to me, and this is funny, Sam, because you live in Maine, but the first thing that (laughs) occurred to me was like, I want to live in Maine. (laughs) I was like, I want to be in Maine. I want to be a writer. How can I be a playwright and be in Maine? And for me, like, just without having any resources or any way to just jump to do that. So for me right now, the, uh, the goal and intent of getting uh, further education in teaching is like, okay, if I'm a teacher and granted there's a whole hot button issue of schools reopening and teaching right now that Mm. we can or cannot get into, I don't care either way, but, um, but teachers are needed everywhere. And maybe that's going to open a door for me to be able to follow that bug in me where that maybe there is somewhere else that I need to try to be. Um, but that being said, you know, totally I totally moved to Maine. I am in full support of that. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's, it's just... like really far. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, have you looked at a map recently? Because when I moved here, I like didn't realize how far it was until I was actually driving for <laughs> the 12th hour. Um, you know, it's like maybe... almost another time zone. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And I... And who knows if maybe by the time that I actually can go to Maine, maybe it won't be Maine anymore. But um, no, you should. I do have. I do have. I, I love. I the vote of confidence is making me. Let me pack up right now and I'll head out. But, um, <laughs> but there is that fear in me that I'm like I'm taking on a full time job right now. I'm taking on a full time job that I can't take paid time off from or time off in general. I mean, granted, I have my summers and I have summer and I have breaks, which is its own upside, but. I know that's something that I'm going to be negotiating as we go into the new school year and also with what is theater doing, when will theater reopen the way that we know, or maybe it will, I mean, it's obviously going to shift a ton from the way that we know it in a lot of amazing, great ways, but when will we be able to experience theater in person again? Um, And then at the end of the day, when I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so horribly stressful. I'm like, I'm young. Let me run myself ragged for a couple more years. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. When you said you're almost 25, I was like, oh my God, you have so much time. I know. (laughs) Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to tell myself too. I know it sounds silly and I even talked to my mom about it, you know, and she's turning 66 this year. And so I'm sure she's like, why are you scared? You crazy lady. But, um, I, I do, I do feel constantly permeated and perhaps it's because of the times we're in now. I, I hate to bring up TikTok. I don't know why I'm bringing up TikTok, (laughs) but, but there are 15 year olds who are absolutely stunningly wealthy because they did a stupid dance on TikTok. Mm. And that gets in my head, like, really, really intensely. I'm like, look at this 15-year-old who must be who's thriving <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> and, you know, if you evaluate that a little bit more, they're 15. Mm-hmm. Things are terrible for a 15-year-old. Can you imagine experiencing your formative years on a social media app with millions of followers, whatever? But it, it really easily gets into my head. That's something I've been working on with my therapist lately. Is like, there is so there is time to live so many lives in your one life. And yes, Mm. you only have one life to live and it's going to go by fast, but 
things change so quickly as I think we all can attest to in these times. Yeah. I'm just waiting for TikTok to uh, just ruin our upcoming election. Like something's going to come out and be like, TikTok has ruined the election. Um, I still don't. I mean, okay. At the risk of just sounding like a grandpa, like I I don't, (laughs) I still don't really understand what TikTok is. It's just like videos, right? I mean, how is it different from Vine? Remember Vine? Well, so the, the main difference is that it's Vine, you know, was limited to what was it? Seven seconds and TikTok, you can do up to a minute. And um, <laughs> I'm laugh. okay. So it's like, no, Vine and laugh. It's ridiculous. Had a baby. Uh, yeah. And so there are so many sub genres of TikTok. There were sub genres of Vines too, but there's conspiracy theory TikTok, there's influencer TikTok, there's humor TikTok, there is like relatable content TikTok, there's the whole dancing trends TikTok. TikTok has made the interface so, TikTok has made it so easy to be viral. And that's to say Mm. maybe being viral isn't actually meaningful anymore because of how easy it is to gain any sort of notoriety. Um, I do recommend just going on TikTok and seeing what's going on. Like it's yes. a wild place. Yes, I, I I didn't sign up for, it, but like sometimes I'll just download the app and just kind of browse through the um, just just scroll through it. Um, God, and it's just, ugh. I I just like look. And I'm like, <laughs> I get so everything you're saying. I agree with. And when I see a, like a user that says like, "Oh, I have 400,000 followers," I'm like, "That's a lie." Like, <laughs> where are these? Where are where are they? <laughs> Do you think most of them are just bots? I that's what, I honestly think it are bots. Um, but but it just it drives me nuts. Um, my gener, I think I like I don't know. My generation is a YouTube, so oh, <laughs> hey, I because this. I feel you. I'm I'm old for TikTok, so the fact that I'm talking about I literally in the um my adaptation of Dracula that I've been writing, I have a reference to TikTok, and I'm like, these seventeen year old kids are gonna think I am <laughs> as old as Stonehenge. Like it's just they are gonna be like, does she has she ever? ticked the talk like what is she doing (laughs) oh well i mean in four years those same 17 year olds are going to be like clueless about the next new platform and then you're gonna have to rewrite your play or at least that yeah yeah definitely keep it relevant well who knows maybe i'll have to write it if trump shuts down tiktok (laughs) yeah I hate to say on this topic, but on when I was listening to NPR yesterday, the the news anchor was like Tic Tac, <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> oh I love that. I actually, I think it's so interesting the idea of like staying relevant with like social media. I think that's like a relatively new concept that's evolved since social media has evolved and it's something that I've been reflecting on a lot and I don't know if either of you I've read both bo- uh, plays by both of you and I think you're both so fucking fabulous but I <laughs> I don't know if you either of you have ever dabbled into the like young adult like let high schoolers perform this like thing but I've been thinking so much about how do you write something and stay stay relevant and stay consistent so that 
right. high schoolers mm. feel engaged and want to be performing your work without thinking you are, as I kind of said, thinking you're a dinosaur. Because there is, it is such a tender age where they're, there's so much up in the air for them. You know, they're deciding if they want to go to college, where they want to go to college, what the hell interests them enough to go to college. Um, also navigating social groups, navigating social groups with such intense social media presence now. And so how do you like create well uh, stories for them? Okay, to, let yeah. me respond to that with a story. I love <laughs> okay. it. So a couple of years ago, um, I got this email out of the blue from someone who had read my play Quiet Witches and wanted to, and he is a high school teacher in Germany. And he wanted his, and he was like, when I read this, because I had submitted it for some competition that, like, I never that I got rejected from, but he had been one of the readers, and he said, when I read this for this competition, I let my high school students read it, and now they are clamoring to, to perform it, and so I was like, sure, and I, they wanted to talk to me during their lunch break. And because of the time difference, I had to get up at like three in the morning Stop. to Skype oh with them. And literally the only question they had for me, not the only one, I'm exaggerating, but like never let the facts get in the way of a good story. All they really wanted to know was if I had ever seen Rent. And when I said <laughs> yes, they all clapped. And I was like, I felt very, very cool in their eyes that like I had seen Rent. <laughs> And so I think the moral of that story is like, mm -hmm. there's, there, I think there's some, you know, basic foundational stories, which, you know, Shakespeare was writing and we are still writing today that mm -hmm. the, the, the decoration can change, you know, like whether you're talking about TikTok or, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, like people on horseback, but Fantastic. But like the fundamental story doesn't, re doesn't really change all that much, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that's a good, that definitely is uh, calming me down. So thank you. <laughs> I think you know, and like, they just want to read about people falling in love or like unrequited love or not being cool enough or not being popular mm -hmm. enough. Like those are the, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, so in four years when there's some new social media thing you can just change the word tiktok to that and then your play will still be fine that i yeah i kind of wholeheartedly agree i um prior to covid19 i was working inside the juvenile halls with young kids mm. inside there and and it, it is the things that they want to write or talk about is the thing we all like human experience like love family favorite food <laughs> they just like all these like common like interests and it's like that's all they want to talk about um and then I just feel like social media or it's it's just a tool and it's, it's mm -hmm. just a, you know it's a and I and I come from like PR world too and I where it was I've only seen it as like a marketing tool and so the things that people do on it I just feel like kids just want to goof around like on yeah. it yeah at the end of the day they just want to goof around and show their friends how good they're they are at goofing off um <laughs> my my only beef and the thing is and this is just now getting old sam getting old um, <laughs> he said uh i i i 
I just I'm just so highly critical now of what it's doing to our society or like our culture. Sure. I the way I kind of imagine it now, and I I you know I sit here like in the corner of my room like a little conspiracy theorist, but I I honestly imagine there's gonna be uh, I don't know if you guys listened to that big tech hearing this week. Um, no, I just kind of read the headlines. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Said, I said through four and a half hours. You did? Oh my yeah. god, so committed. I thank you. I'm just like really into that world, but um, I was listening to it, and I kind of imagined, you know, here are is our fight, like our democratic fight with this like giant tech companies. But I also think about what's going on with our. Um, in our country, this very divisive, like attitudes about our politics and everything. And I just think like, there might be, I was like, the, I think the horror is they're going to be all these multiple apps where everyone can be part of their own little mm. niche world and be in that own. So they're never opening up to other possibilities. And then there's all these like mini teams. And I was like, Oh my God, that's a nightmare to think of because then they're all in their own realities and they're not ever going to be open to other opinions. Basically they're just going to be sitting in their own opinion. And then that's my fear about social media is that that's where it might head to. But I feel like we're already there. It's just that, you know, everybody might be on the same platform, but they're only seeing content. Right. From- I mean, that is so true. I, I talk about it all the time, like with um, my friends and family, just we all see, we all are versions of reality. And granted, this is, this is true no matter what, but our versions of reality online are so different and it's so um, insidious and divisive. Like it is so... And then that's why that that's the point is so that we can stay divided without any sort of conversation or any sort of potential meeting of any minds because we never see the, the same thing yeah. um, or a story told without like a very explicit bias. And I mean, granted, I'm an artist. I'm like in a very like radical liberal <laughs> sense. Um, that's what I'm seeing. So maybe if I was more, I, no, even if I were more moderate though, it would probably be a little bit messy, but you know. Yeah. Well, Marjorie, given that, that landscape, here's a question for you. How would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century? Or like more specifically in August 2020 in the midst of, you know, the biggest mm. global pandemic in 100 years and maybe possibly the collapse of our democracy. For sure. Wow. That's a huge question. And I am the person to answer it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you are. I, well, I appreciate the confidence. Um I always, when I first started writing and like having my work read, this was in, I guess, beginning of 2018. 18. That's when I really started playwriting with any sort of regularity and actually submitting my work. And that's when my first reading of Little Space was. Um, I would have people say to me, gosh, I wish I could write. And I don't really get that anymore. And I wonder if it's maybe because I was fairly new to it that I didn't have, not that I think I've built a wall up around my like 
I'm a writer, but I was still saying I'm an actor and sometimes I write. And so mm. now that I'm a writer, I, I don't think I get this response. Now that I define myself as a writer, I don't think I get this response as much, but people would always say, I wish I could write too. Um, and I, my answer was always, well, you should like, mm -hmm. let me, let's get you writing something. Let's get you a reading of something. Like, I can't wait to hear your voice in your story. And eventually I got kind of jaded and annoyed when people would say that. And I would complain to other writers about it. And, and in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, that's so rude. But <laughs> I think, I think the thing that bothered me was that I'm like, just write. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a writer, just write. To to be an artist is to do. And I don't know if I necessarily am 100% on that, in that camp anymore, especially now with the changing, with the how the theatrical landscape is so different right now in COVID and how many artists cannot do, whether for their art is just not happening or they don't have the capacity because we are all going through collective trauma and grief all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but to, to be an artist is to do, whether it's you write your grocery list or you doodle while you're in a work meeting, I think right now. I think mm -hmm. we're all making art all the time. I wonder if maybe part of what was annoying about that was like when – when people say, I wish I could do that, it's almost like they're um, dismissing the work part of it and just focusing mm. on like, oh, like you have this talent, you're able to do this easily mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm not. And it can come across, maybe they don't mean it this way, but it can definitely come across as like, oh, this is easy for you, which yes. is not a fun thing to hear after you've worked for a year <laughs> writing a yeah. play. Yeah, I think I think there is something to that because I'm I think that's why I started to get kind of flippant in in my mind about it because I'm like, yeah, if you want to write, go do it. Go pull your teeth and like feel constipated for like half a year <laughs> while you try and write a goddamn play that the first draft you're going to think is crap and then you're not going to touch it again and then you're going to cry about it and have dreams about it. <laughs> you know, it's just it could go on right. and on. But it's like mm -hmm. you can do this. You don't want to put in the work. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my God. That's <laughs> so true. It's like I once heard this, I don't remember who this was, but it was some novelist or like biographer or somebody, somebody asked her, you know, what's your secret? What like would you have any special writing techniques that you do or what's your process like? And she said, apply ask to chair write. <laughs> that was her whole answer. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I I think people don't want to consider time. They feel like everyone wants immediate and they want the the results now. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I feel like I've been working at least a bunch of my plays for it's still working on it uh, multiple years now. Like I'm constantly going back to it over and over. It takes time, and I, I I think I had to sort of relinquish that thought of like it's gonna be perfect in three weeks. And right. I kind of have to be like, I, I have to be willing to put however long time, like time should just, I feel like it should be erased almost like this idea of deadlines or something, unless you're right. You're, unless you like have an actual deadline and you're like, gotta get this in. <laughs> but other than that, but like, that's when I do like 90% of my work is when I have a deadline. Right? I'm the which same. Not I, I, same. Yeah, um, which, yeah. I, 
the the idea of time being erased is actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently, and I I don't know why, but just like the social construct of time mm. and how we define it and everything that's attached to it. And it's just interesting that you bring that up because it's so crazy how pretty much almost every culture like has some sort of relationship with time and how we apply ourselves to it and how we define our define ourselves by the metric that is time. Um, I think time should be erased with most things, but you know. Well, we can't. It's there. <laughs> um, You're right. <laughs> uh, before we move on to glistens, I just want to um, pull up, hope you don't mind, your artistic oh. statement. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just want to pull some quotes. I just really love it. Um, so I just want to pull some of these quotes. I said, so the opening line is like, I live under a kitchen sink. Uh, and then here's some few lines. I was not born under the sink. No, I crawled here from the secret life of an only childhood. The listening, the looking, the reading, the searching. Uh, you're always searching for something under that kitchen sink. You always find more than what you bargained for. And usually it's unnerving. So I would love to know, you know, what are you searching right now under the, under the kitchen oh sink? Oh, my god! Good question, Sarah. Oh, so good. Um <laughs> Well, I do I do have to attribute that whole the premise of my work being under the kitchen sink that goes out to my collaborator Ben Claus who we were talking about. I was like, "Oh, I just write kitchen sink crap and bullshit and I'm so annoyed by myself." And they were like, "No, it's like under the kitchen sink." And I just latched onto that and so that's my whole um that's my shtick now. Um I'm so that's so funny you bring that up. I wrote that just uh, I don't know, like a month ago. I was like, "My artistic statement sucks, so let's do something interesting." Um I guess where am I under the kitchen sink right now? It's interesting because my work since quarantine has started has actually diverted slightly away from the kitchen sink and that it's now un I'm now I'm under the kitchen sink but there's a ghost <laughs> um and so a play that I finished back in May uh called currently called a Svengali but I'll probably change the title is about a young artist who she can't figure out how to paint and she wants to be able to paint and she finds this enchanted teapot that's haunted by a famous artist and he like inspires her to paint but ends up destroying her or um I've been working on this adaptation of Dracula that's the supernatural element is something that's very new to my under the kitchen sink world and so mm. I guess what I've been searching for and leaning into right now is the surreal nature of what's under the kitchen sink. It's the, uh, you know, the ammonia is going to your head and now you're hallucinating. You're still doing the dishes, but there's a vampire <laughs> that's haunting wow. your neighborhood, you know? Um, and, and I say that and it, it sounds kind of, I guess, funny and funky and science fiction, but I don't, to me, it speaks to, I think, something very true. I mean, we're living in what feel, what at least for a while felt like almost surreal circumstances. Right now, it's a new reality, but what it's, 
I don't know. I was I was in my childhood home alone the other night and I started truly asking myself if I believed in ghosts because I was hearing things or I was seeing something new. And and I've always been somebody who's like, I don't really believe in ghosts. I believe that people believe in it, but I don't really believe in that. But then I started like actually questioning that. And I think maybe that's the real thing is when what we know about ourselves really starts to shift. Like, mm. and I, sorry, I keep darting all over the place, but I was for a while a person who was like, I know myself and I'm never going to change. And then that was, I was like 18. And then since then I've changed again and again and again and again. And the first time it was like, you know, Mm. the craziest thing in the world. I was like, what do you mean? Like my favorite color isn't pink anymore or whatever. That's a very like small, like maybe a relational example. But um, I think that when the definition of ourselves ourselves starts to shift that's like how close we get to surreal and supernatural because at first it feels alien until you get to know the person that you are and you're like oh it was it was me all along so I guess that's what I'm searching under the kitchen sink do you feel like who you are changes like do you feel like you're consciously changing who you are or like it happens to you I think it I oh Gosh, that's, I think, that's a chicken and egg question, I think. Yeah, it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Because like, my first impulse is to say, I think it happens to you, but then isn't, aren't the things that often happen to you based on the decisions that you make? Even just, oh, I'm going to turn down that road instead of that road, like quite literally, you know, the way that you experience your day or your life is going to be completely different. I think about parallel universes a lot. And I really actually have invested a lot of, I have, I take a lot of comfort in knowing that there's a parallel universe for every choice I didn't or Mm. did make. Whoa. And I, I invested in that, like I got my heart broken like last year sometime and I was like, well, there is a universe where we, me and this person are together and we are viciously happy. And there's a universe where we actually ended up destroying each other and hurting each other even more deeply than this could have possibly been. And the reality that I'm in is that this was the best reality of all because it's mine. I have to live with that. Um, That's fascinating. I mean, that's just cool to think about. It's (laughs) weird. And and it is, I can see how that's reassuring though. You know, Mm. it's just like somewhere out there is a Marjorie living the life that I chose not to live. Yeah. For every single decision. Yeah. And and that's, that's where it ends up tricking you because you think, because every single second you're making a decision, whether it's a thought, whether it's a movement, whether it's emotion. So you can go down this rabbit hole of being like, well, let me think about how I could have died every second of my life. <laughs> that there's a universe that exists that wow. way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, and then you think, okay, all of what about other people's parallel universes? Do those exist in their own vacuums or do those intersect with mine? Does that mean there are even more infinite possibilities of I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but now I sound like one. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, before we move to Glistens, where can our listeners find you if they're curious to learn more about your work? Absolutely. Um, well, you can start by visiting my website, marjoriemuller.com. 
Um, that's where you can find my plays and news that will be updated soon. Um, you can visit theaterinthedark.com, which is the source for the show that I'm producing, A War of the Worlds. It's, I believe, the first year that a war, uh, the world, uh, war of the Worlds is in the public domain. So we're going to be doing a live digital audio drama um, in the fall. Um, and you can visit me on Instagram at Ides of Marge. <laughs> That's me. And I am very active on Instagram. I deactivated my Facebook back in December, and that was probably the best decision I've ever made. So Instagram's become my haven of expression. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, but what I is... really want to know is can people find you on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Just, I, probably never. But um, no, they cannot at the moment. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm also on New Play Exchange, but who isn't these days? Yeah. <laughs> At least you should be. <laughs> awesome. And we'll make sure to link all those out in our show notes. Thank you, Marjorie. Now on to Glistens. Uh, let's see. So I'll go first. So Marjorie, our Glisten is like what stood out to us uh, during the week. It could be like any quote or um, right. anything, really. Um, so... For me, my listen is um, I have been getting my produce to CSA. I think I mentioned it on the show, but I'm always so impressed by the produce I get um, from my CSA. <laughs> and it's always like Christmas. Every Thursday afternoon, it's just like, oh, my goodness. Do they deliver? Do you have to go pick it up? Um, I, I, get, it, I get it now delivered because I was like, there was too many uh, – too many people touching my box. <laughs> so I was like, mm, okay, uh, not during this time of COVID. So I have it delivered and um, yeah, it's, I'm just always impressed every week. So any highlights from your box uh, this week? This week I got grapes. Wow. Oh my gosh. The CSA in Maine does not have grapes. Let me tell you. <laughs> I got grapes. It was very yummy. It was like a seedless California. Green. Yeah. Um, so that was good. I like that. And I've been every week I've been always getting apricots and pluots and plums. Oh my oh god, my you're making me so jealous. <laughs> I'm just such a pleb. I've never tried an apricot or what? a pluot. <laughs> <laughs> I was a very picky eater as a kid. I'm sorry I interrupted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you grew up in Indiana, which is not known for its apricots. You know, our cuisine is Cheetos and Diet Coke. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Cheetos. That is a CSA box that I think has a bright future. Yes. The Cheetos and Diet Coke CSA. Well, um, okay, in a similar vein, my glisten is I went berry picking yesterday. Oh, my gosh, it's blueberry Um, season. I got (gasps) so many blueberries. They're just starting. They're, like, so beautiful on the bush, the blueberry bush. And I think I'm going to have to go back because I picked a quart of blueberries, and there's still so many more. And they're so delicious. I mean, just – there's just nothing, like – Fresh blueberries. Are you going to freeze them? I froze some of them, but um, honestly, I think I'm just going to eat the rest. I I didn't freeze very many because I've been eating them very fast. Um, 
So Marjorie, fruits and vegetables. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh my gosh, I can talk about the corn. It's so good this year. (laughs) It can be anything. Which it is. It can be be Um, like a film or a book. Yeah. Sure. Um, Well, okay. This is, so I, part of my quarantine journey has been, I've been listening to Led Zeppelin's entire discography. Wow. (laughs) And um, they, I've finished the other day. It, it took me a while because I got very emotionally invested um, in like every song in all the band members. I know way too much about Led Zeppelin. I know way too much about Robert Plant. Um, and I have gotten to the point where I'm re-listening. And I guess my glisten is just any song, any song that you love, listen for the bass. Listen for the bass line. Mm. Because the bass line, my mom always says, the so- songs would be nothing without a bass line. And she's totally right. Because John Paul Jones, the bass guitarist for Led Zeppelin, the most underrated member of the band, even though it's one of the greatest bands of all time, and he's one of the greatest bass players of all time, um, is constantly overshadowed by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and John Bonham. Um has the smoothest, most beautiful, most like gut shaking bass lines. And I can bet that your favorite song also has one. You don't have to listen to Led Zeppelin. You can hate the British rock invasion. I don't blame you. <laughs> but, Marjorie, I just want to take a class with you where you teach me how to listen to music because I just. Oh my gosh. I just learned. It. I just learned. Well, you need to know me. You need to know a song like very well before mm. you can really pick out the bass line. But once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And it's you realize like oh the, the guitar would not sound as full without that the the voice the voice of the singer like reflects they echo each other the um mm. drums are playing directly off of it any bass guitarist out there who feels underappreciated i'm here for you <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that i love that that's a that's a good goal to have for me during this time is like picking an artist and listening to their whole discography yeah. of music. That'd be fun. Yeah. I might so who would you pick? Recommend- oh yeah. Who would I pick? Oh, um, hmm. Oh god. You guys are gonna make me gonna think I'm so basic, but I think it might be Taylor Swift. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. She it was just like, released an album, so <laughs> I've been listening to it. It's really good, and I might. I love that. That's your answer. No, that is so interesting because Taylor Swift truly has such a, a breadth of work at this point, and has truly gone through so many different phases of the her sound. Mm-hmm. I think that would be super interesting to hear, like teardrops on my guitar, all the way up to now. I haven't listened to her newest album, but. That's very interesting. <laughs> now, Sam, what, who would you listen to? Well, you know, my first answer, of course, because it has just been the soundtrack to my life, is Bob Dylan. But I feel like oh that's a cop out because I've already listened to so much of his music. And, <laughs> um, no, I mean, in order and from the beginning, it's it you, it might hit different. But like, but like, maybe I should pick somebody that I don't know as well. Mm. Um, maybe. But, Maybe. My therapist recommended Radiohead to me. <laughs> so if anybody wants to listen to Radiohead, that's a good record. Oh my gosh! Well, Marjorie, it's been so wonderful talking to you. 
Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've been a big fan and it's been wonderful to listen to you both during quarantine and all the wonderful episodes and guests. So thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of that amazing breadth of work you have created. <laughs> thank you. Well, good luck with your shows and listeners. Thank make you. sure to check out her work. <laughs> <laughs>